All right, Alexander, let's talk about what is happening in Ukraine and in Russia. Let's start things off with what is going on on the ground. We also have some news. Um, Viktor Orban was giving a radio interview, and he said that uh, the EU is talking about peacekeepers in Ukraine. An interesting revelation from Orban. Uh, we had Lukashenko. He gave a big speech, and he said that Poland was thinking and was considering invading Belarus. An interesting statement from uh, from Lukashenko, or starting a conflict with Belarus. An interesting statement from Lukashenko. We have uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin dismissing, recalling the ambassadors, the Russian ambassadors in Latvia and Estonia. What does that mean? That's an interesting development as well. We have the Wall Street Journal alleged spy. That's an interesting development. And we have the Wall Street Journal now saying that the U.S. should expel all Russian journalists and the Russian ambassador in the United States over this spy incident. Uh, one more thing, as we talk about the situation on the ground, to lead you into the situation on the ground, we do have Commander Sisky saying that in Bakhmut, he is starting to notice that the Wagner uh, forces are weakening. Yeah, This is what Sisky Say yes. just this morning. So, yes, that leads you into the situation on yes. the ground, and then I think you have a lot yeah. of stuff to talk about yeah, on the, the geopolitical, the geopolitical end of things. Yes, I mean, I mean, this is what Sirsky is saying about the situation in Bakhmut, and of course, it echoes what uh, uh, Mark Milley was saying yesterday in the House of Representatives so to the House Armed Services Committee, and. Um, We've had, you know, various reports about this, that the Wagner forces are weakening. And Mark Milley said that they'd made no progress at all in Bakhmut over the last 21 days, which, if you've been following the fighting in Bakhmut, is simply not the case. And, in fact, shortly after <laughs> Mark Milley said that, but before Sierski made his comment this morning, we got information which was confirmed by Ukrainian sources and accepted by even places like Reuters that, in fact, the Russians are making further, have made further progress within Bakhmut itself. So, you know, I, I would take what Sirsky says and what Mark Milley says um, very, very sceptically. Um, Prigozhin himself has been talking he says the major priority now is clearing Bakhmut, the town of Bakhmut. There's been lots of fighting going on in Bakhmut. The Russians are clearing uh, Bakhmut steadily, incrementally. They've almost reached the city administration building. For myself, I see no evidence of any slackening of the Russian assault on Bakhmut. But it's clear there's a lot of Ukrainian troops in Bakhmut. And that's why the fighting there is so intense and why it is taking time to clear. If there's 10 or 20,000 Ukrainian troops fighting in Bakhmut, that's a lot of troops, and they can resist for a certain amount of time, for a long time. So that's all, I, that's all I'm going to say about that. Overall, in every other place, I gather the, uh, uh, along the battlefronts, I gather the weather has again taken a bad turn for the worse. There's more rain, things are more boggy. The Ukrainian offensive that we've been hearing so much about 
hasn't yet started. Suggestions now that it's going to be put back to the middle or late period of April. Who's to say? But, you know, lots of talks, lots of discussions about that kind of thing. Now, all of these other things that are happening, I'm going to start, first of all, with the American journalists from the Wall Street Journal, because that's an important story, actually. Now, for me, the big clue as to what has happened is the location of this man's arrest. He was arrested in Yekaterinburg. Yekaterinburg is in the Urals. It's, you know, the biggest, I believe it's the biggest city in the Urals. It's a major industrial centre. Yekaterinburg is right at the node, the central area, of the Russian military-industrial complex. The Urals is the major industrial centre. If you're looking at the tank factories, the big tank factories are in, Chelyab, sorry, in uh, Nizhny Tagil, which is quite close to Yekaterinburg, and um, in Omsk, which is also part of the Urals area. There's also a big industrial plant in Chelyabinsk, which was just visited by Shoigu, which makes shells. There is also a big plant in Pyam, which makes aircraft engines. So what was this journalist doing in Yekaterinburg? He was probably asking questions about the state of Russia's arms industry. I think the Russians would interpret that as spying. Probably if a US, if a Russian journalist was doing the same in the United States, you know, prowling around the Lima plant, for example, trying to find out what the state of US tank production is, he might also find himself in similar troubles. I'm just saying, I think that this person's been arrested. I think the most likely outcome of this is going to be expelled from Russia. I don't think it's going to be taken much further than that. There's going to be some just discussion, maybe the Russians will want to swap him with someone else. We will see. But uh, th that is what I think is going to I think this is going to be a contained affair. If the US wants to escalate it, they can do, and maybe they will do it. But if they start taking extreme steps, like expelling the ambassador, I think that, that is absolutely wild. I think that's bizarre. I, I think that will be a huge mistake. And I think it will be seen as such around the world. But, you know, these people in Washington aren't very much in control of what they're doing. So I think an overambitious journalist asking too many questions in the wrong place, I think that's basically, most likely, the explanation for this story. And I think it will be contained. The other things are much more important. Talk in the EU of peacekeepers looks to me like some kind of way of cobbling together some kind of expeditionary force into Ukraine. An incredibly dangerous and bad idea. That's the first thing to say about that. Um, the second is the talk from Lukashenko about a Polish attack on Belarus. That's also very ominous, and it might explain the Russian decision to deploy nuclear weapons in Belarus. It could be intended to deter Poland. And the expulsion of the two ambassadors from the Baltic states by the Russians is a further sign I mean, I, 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 of how bad 
the situation between Russia and these countries has now become. And it could be that the Russians are becoming concerned about what these particular diplomats are doing. So, you know, what we are seeing is a further deterioration of the situation between the Russians and the Europeans in advance of this Ukrainian offensive that everybody knows is coming at some point over the next few weeks. Yeah, okay, so uh, let's see, two, two questions. Um, the first one with the journalist, we did a show on the Duran maybe like a month or two ago. I'm, I'm terrible with, <laughs> with the timelines. But uh, we, we said that after the whole Brittany Griner, Brittany, uh, uh, Brittany Griner, Victor, Victor Booth thing, uh, the U.S. State Department actually did begin arresting more Russian nationals. Yes. After that whole affair went down, yeah. which yeah. was very embarrassing for the Biden White House, they continued to arrest Russian nationals. And we said at that program, at that time, we said, this is just going to, yes. to continue to, to yes. feed into this. We'll arrest yes. your guy, you arrest yes. our guy, and it's just going to yes. keep on going back and forth. Uh, do you think this may have been part of this, uh, this arrest? This may have played a part in this arrest of the Wall Street Journal um, reporter? Oh, I understand what you mean. He was probably asking the wrong questions at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. But the fact that the U.S. continues to arrest Russian nationals, do you think that kind of prompted the Russians to take a heavier hand instead of just expelling him, for example, just saying, OK, your visa is revoked, leave the country, your blacklist is from Russia. And that's exactly. that. Not making exactly. an international scene about it. Yeah. Do you think that this yes. the fact that that the U.S. continued to arrest Russians played a part in in this affair? And, uh, okay, answer that, and I'll, and I'll give you the, the next question. Yeah, I think the answer is absolutely, because once upon a time, you know, not long, so long ago, what the Russians would have done is exactly what you said. They'd have simply expelled this journalist. They would have simply said, you're, you're, you're expelled, you're not coming back, you've gone to the wrong place, you're asking the wrong questions, we're not prepared to tolerate that, and out you go. Instead, they've arrested him, and, and they are obviously holding him as part of a counter in further negotiations with the U.S. about releasing their citizens of the United States, their citizens that the U.S. is arresting. And, of course, uh, um, it's, it's that sort of a game now. And um, an administration that goes on arresting Russians, an administration that encourages the ICC to issue arrest warrants against the Russian president, is inviting this kind of retaliation. Whether the U.S. understands that, whether the administration understands that, I don't know. But it's inevitable. You know, if you start going down that road, everybody else can start playing at this game. Okay, going back to the spring offensive, Kaluba, the foreign minister, he uh, he gave an interview, I think, to the Financial Times, if I'm if I remember correct, correctly, and he said that. Uh, if the if the spring offensive doesn't deliver the results that everyone's expecting, and uh, if Ukraine doesn't get a hundred percent of the territories that they're talking about uh, about taking, if it doesn't happen, they don't get a hundred percent of of the territories, and and if the spring offensive maybe maybe fails, he's like you know just keep on sending weapons and money, and don't look at it as uh, as something to to uh to be discouraged about you know it's just yes. going to be he was downplaying it it's just going to yes. be 
yeah. a spring offensive. And if it's successful or partly successful or it fails, it really it really isn't going to uh, to determine the outcome of of the war. That's pretty much yes. what Kaluba was saying and what he was hinting at. And he, and he made it a point to say, keep the money and the weapons coming no matter what happens in, yes. in the springtime. What do you make of that statement? I mean, yes. he was... He was really walking back. Claims that they have been making. They're the yes. ones that talk about spending the summer in Crimea and, <laughs> and sunbathing in Crimea and stuff like that. Yes, that's Elensky well, that talks about these yes. things. And now all of a sudden, it's well, you know, if if it's not a hundred percent successful, it's not a big deal. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. I mean, he's downplaying the uh, the results of the offensive, which suggests that more and more people in Kiev are beginning to have doubts about the extent to which it can achieve the very ambitious targets, objectives that it set itself. And, um, and you know, he's trying to walk back this talk that there's been from Washington that this is the last-ditch offensive, that if it doesn't succeed, then it's game over in Ukraine. He wants the West to continue to commit to supporting Ukraine beyond the summer. So it suggests that he's having doubts and that the Ukrainians are having doubts about the success of this offensive. Well, I, I'm going to say what I think. If the offensive fails, then I think Kaleba is going to get what he wants. Um, I, I think that the West now is so far up the escalation escalator that they don't have any real plan or idea about how to get off, at least not the leaders we see at the moment. So if the offensive fails, um, we could start to see further escalations. And perhaps that's what this talk about the peace keeping force is all about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one final topic story to, to get to. Maybe we, maybe we do a dedicated video on this, um, when, when the meeting does happen in Beijing. Uh, Spanish uh, Prime Minister is going to Beijing. Macron is going to Beijing. I believe Ursula is going to Beijing as well. I'm not, I'm not certain if she's going, but I, I think she is. Anyway, she outlined her, her China doctrine, the EU-China doctrine yesterday. It's, it's about de-risking and not decoupling from China. But she did issue a warning for China not to get too close to Russia. What do you make of her de-risking strategy <laughs> de-risking strategy is just weird and uh it's her warning to china to beijing yeah, I mean, don't I mean, uh, the, don't get too close to to russia yeah well the chinese would see the de-risking strategy as a bluff because if she's talking about de-risking and saying we mustn't decouple then that basically tells the chinese that the europeans are terrified of decoupling from china and bear in mind what i've said if you try and bluff the Chinese, they will always call your bluff. It's it's um, axiomatic. It's one of the first rules of diplomacy. That's the first thing to say. So it's a sign of weakness. And the second thing is, her warning to China, the, the Chinese and the Russians, but the Chinese especially, have already made it clear. They've made this in public statements now. They've written it in their statements, the ones they've agreed with the Russians which is that they will not brook interference, meddling, lectures, lessons, warnings from third parties 
about the relationship between China and Russia. So if Ursula or Charles Michel or whoever it is from the EU who is eventually going to Beijing comes along to Beijing and starts saying things like that to the Chinese, the Chinese will say, look, this is nothing to do with you. We have our relationship with the Russians. We value that relationship. We are not interested in what you say. Stay out. Keep keep your business out of this affair. Your, think, your hands out of this affair. It has nothing to do with you. If you value your relationship with us, you will not interfere in it. Is Putin afraid for the safety of the ambassadors in Latvia and Estonia? Yeah, very possibly. And I mean, I did think about that and I don't want to discuss this in detail because there are dangers in doing so. But I think that there are possibilities that he's generally worried that um, there might be risks to the diplomatic staff there and, you know, that there might be. Well, the kind of things that we saw happen in 1979 in Iran and that kind of thing. Right. What would happen if uh, if Russia pulls out its its embassies from Latvia and Estonia? What does that mean? Well, it's I mean, they've cut great... diplomatic ties. Then, in, in essence, I mean, yeah, it, it, it does. It would mean it would be a cutting of diplomatic ties. I don't know what it would mean, but it would put these two countries. I would have thought in a very difficult situation because it would mean that they're no longer in a position to talk directly to the Russians, who are of course there. You know, they're big power next to them, it would confirm not just hostility, but the fact that Russia and these two little Baltic states are now in effect enemies. And if that is the situation, as a Baltic, if I was a Baltic citizen, I would be very worried. Because you have this giant on your doorstep, and that giant no longer sees you as a potential partner but as an enemy and i would be worried about you know being squashed at some point but you know let's let's hope it doesn't come to that let's hope we don't see a complete rupture of diplomatic relations yeah latvia has quite a significant uh, uh russian population russian diaspora yes, yes it does uh, it absolutely so does estonia latvia. So does Estonia, uh, by the way. And well. Nava, I believe Latvia is something like 20, 20% or something. I think it's more than that. And I think in, in Riga, it's a lot more than that. And in Estonia, one of the towns, Nava, is apparently regards the people there speak, it's overwhelmingly Russian. The people think of themselves as Russian and um, are basically attached or, or, or feel themselves, you know, detached from Russia. They don't want to be part of Estonia. So I understand. So I've heard from people, by the way, who've been there. But um, so it's, it's, it's risky. But of course, what Latvia is now saying is that unless people, Russian speakers, learn Latvian. I mean, I, I, I'm not absolutely sure about this report, by the way, but I saw a report yesterday that unless they speak, learn to speak Latvian, they risk deportation from Latvia. And it could be that this was the final straw if this is indeed what's happened, it could be been the final straw as far as Putin was concerned. And it could have decided him that this is impossible, that Russia can't continue to maintain diplomatic contacts at the high level, highest level with governments that behave like that. Yeah, there's some reason, some, something oh, yeah. tipped them off. 
to to dismiss those ambassadors to get those ba ambassadors Absolutely. back home. Something something Absolutely. happened. Yes. Or something was going to happen. Yes, know. yes. You no, know, all very ominous. The whole thing in Ukraine is looking very, very ugly and dangerous at the moment. We're all waiting for this offensive that Ukraine is going to launch. We're all going to wait and see what it achieves, if it achieves anything. And um, the situation is getting very ominous indeed. And, of course, more people are dying all the time. And there's no sign that anybody in the West is prepared to talk peace. But I'm going to say something else. I think part of what we need to understand about all of these different moves is that the shadow of China is now he hanging very heavy over this whole business. So that's one thing that has also, I think, raised the temperature, is that the Putin Sea summit meeting has scared a lot of people. Yeah, well, it woke them up because they they were still under the belief that they could win China over in much the same way they're under the belief that they can win India over or they can continue to isolate Russia. They still have that that uh, that that belief that Russia is indeed isolated and they're waking up to the fact that de-dollarization is going on. Russia is not isolated. Uh, India is uh, very friendly with Russia. Uh, China is in in a near alliance with Russia, even on a military level. Saudi Arabia is moving uh, towards uh, towards BRICS. I mean, yes. all of these things hit the collective yes. West in, in in a matter of one or two weeks, and they've woken yes. up to, to that, yes. and they're yes, and they're freaking out. Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. And as I said, this is this is worrying <laughs> uh, because, as I said, people who are becoming uh, um, so nervous and frightened are capable of behaving in all kinds of erratic and irresponsible ways. I mean, I have to say the most, the single most worrying thing for me is this peacekeeping idea that Orban is talking about. One wonders which countries, and I want, one wonders also what is being, what is, what is it that people are thinking about? I mean, one possibility, and I, you know, one, one, one might want to think this is that it could be that the EU is trying to cobble some kind of peace plan of its own, which calls for withdrawal of Russian troops and an insertion of EU peacekeepers in their place, um, possibly after a successful Ukrainian counteroffensive. I think for the Russians, that's a non-starter. You're saying the EU believes that Ukraine will have a successful well, offensive, and that's they why might they want to get the peacekeepers that, ready? Yeah, they might be thinking in that way. I would say maybe the reverse. Yeah. Can't you also say that they don't believe in a successful well, offensive, so maybe they want to <laughs> throw in peacekeepers? Uh, actually, I, I actually, actually, I incline very much to the second. I think this talk of a peacekeeping force, as I discussed before, isn't really about peacekeeping force. It's an attempt to try and create some kind of expeditionary force into Ukraine. You've called it a peacekeeping force. I think this is far more likely. It's far more likely that they are becoming nervous that the Ukrainian offensive is going to fail. That is my own view. But I don't want to say, you know, that the other possibility hasn't also occurred to me. I discount it. And if it is indeed what the Europeans are thinking, that some kind of a successful Ukrainian offensive 
leads to recapture of territory and the EU is going to propose to the Russians an insertion of an EU peacekeeping force. I mean, that's a non-starter. The Russians will never buy into that. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, well, just a final question before we wrap up this video. Resnikov put out a statement, the defense minister of Ukraine put out a statement uh, the other day and... And he said that the spring offensive, contrary to what Kaluba said, he said the spring offensive is definitely happening. So please deliver us more tanks and weapons and ammo, artillery. That was his statement. I, I just don't understand one thing. How a spring offensive is coming in two, three, four, five weeks? I don't know, six weeks? I don't understand. They're, they're preparing this spring offensive. I mean, it is spring right now. It's spring, yeah, I know. and you're it's asking enough. for weapons. I mean, is it no, is no. it a, no, no. is it is it that simple? Deliver a tank today, and tomorrow we're we're driving that tank through to to Crimea. I mean, is that how how all of this works? Well, I mean, it, it, it it's it's nonsense, and you know, this is a military commander who's talking this nonsense because in effect what he's saying is i don't have enough weapons to carry out this spring offensive now i mean i i am not able to try and unpack the logic of this it could be uh, you again want to take a sort of machiavellian view this is a this is a disinformation exercise. It's intended to lull the Russians into complacency, Ukraine admitting that it doesn't have enough weapons. I think it's much more likely that Sirsky, like Kaleba, are preparing for the failure of this spring offensive and that they're going to turn around to the West after it fails, or at least it fails to achieve the objectives they've set and say that the reason it didn't succeed was because we didn't have enough weapons. So it wasn't our fault, it was your fault, and therefore send us even more. Yeah, agreed. Okay. <laughs> Let's leave it there. This is the maddest, the craziest war I've ever known. I mean, not from the Russian side. The Russians, you know, you can, they're waging war in a conventional way, but on the Western and Ukrainian side, it's getting weirder and madder almost by the day. All right, thedurant.locals.com. We are on Rockfin and Rumble, Odyssey, Pursuit, and Telegram. And go to the Durant shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.